0: Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers, 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725, or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from South Carolina, Georgia area. Right around the border, we have an active duty law enforcement officer who's also big and do Training law enforcement officers. His name is Scott Yustree. Scott, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Day Show. Very much appreciated.
1: Jay, thank you so much for having me on the uh, show today. And us, uh, so look forward to really uh, talking to you.
0: It's good to have you on. This is something we've been working on for a long, long time, and now really is an appropriate time to talk about things we are talk about. I'm going to talk about police use of force. We're going to talk about hands-on or lack of hands-on training. Meaning when officers have to go to hands-on use of force, many agencies across the United States are embarrassingly don't provide much in the way of training and or repeat training. And we'll talk about his law enforcement experience. Before we go into that, Scott, you are a trainer at GTI Training Group. Tell us about that
1: so gti is the government training institute and uh, we are located in barnwell south carolina which is just outside of the augusta metro region we are a decommissioned nuclear facility so our main structure that we use for close quarter battle or, or training our guys is a two hundred thousand square foot decommissioned nuclear facility Just as part of what we got going on um, some of the other aspects that we have out here is we have the highest sniper perch in the southeast Uh, We have a 135-foot, 10-story sniper perch that we use for training that allows us to reach um, distances out to about 1,500 yards in one direction and are able to shoot 180 degrees to about 800 yards out in the other direction. So it really allows us to get some distances and angles that aren't really accessible other than in real-life situations.
0: Where can people get more information about GTI training and what you do and what you offer?
1: So for the, for the law enforcement mill side, you can go to org and look us up there. If you're a civilian and you want to come out and do some civilian training with us, or if you're a law enforcement or military guy that's looking for just a little bit shorter class, you can look up com and you can find out all the information about our classes there.
0: Well, thank you so much for what you do, thank you for your service. So since Scott is an active duty officer, we can talk about what agency he works at. We're going to keep our conversation very general it's safe to say you've been in law enforcement for 20 years plus
1: yes sir so i am currently going working on my 23rd year of law enforcement so 22 years active as of right now i've had 19 years of that time has been as part of some kind of tactical or SWAT team whether it was in a capacity of just being operator all the way up to an assistant team commander on my last large team and pretty much everywhere in
0: between one of the things I've found, and the reason why I do the Law Enforcement Today show, and right now, with the current climate in the United States of America, and also I've talked to some cops in Canada, they got similar going on up there as well. We have a definite, very anti-law enforcement environment going on. The climate is it's as extreme as it can be, and there's, I think a lot of it is due to, number one, the lack of understanding of what law enforcement officers do and why, and secondly, we as a, as a group, as a, a family of blue, have been relying on the news media to tell our stories for, for too long. And they don't do a very good job, and now it's so clearly biased that it, it's as if they purposely create the headlines, whether it be print, television, radio, social media, to make it anti-police, to get more eyeballs on it. So we've got we to get the bull by the horns and start telling people the truth.
1: Well, the the only way to to fix the the, the current state of America nowadays is is to start being transparent. I know that that term has gotten spilled around a lot lately, but I don't think some people actually understand what transparency really means. Um, Transparency really means, you know, in in my professional and personal opinion, it is not necessarily to showing everybody what we do, but showing them why we do what we do. One of the big things we try to do here at GTI and one of the big things I teach my guys as I'm training law enforcement guys is not necessarily how to do the skill set they're trying to do, but why to use the skill set they're trying to use. And it makes it a lot more personal for people, and it really shows why we do everything on a daily basis from how we dress in the morning coming to duty to the way we perform certain tasks while on duty to how we go home at the end of the night. And that's not necessarily just for law enforcement. I mean, you you pick your profession and you have hows and whys in that profession as well. But the transparency that really needs to be shown to the American people and to everybody all across the nation isn't necessarily what goes on behind the scenes once something happens, but how we prepare for that event prior to it happening trying to keep it from being
0: bad. Exactly. No one... Least of all, I, I can speak from my experience. No one, that no situation I ever was in did I want to have it end where it was deadly force or someone got seriously injured or anything of that nature. But the overriding factor all the time was that I'm going to survive and I'm going to make it home. And I would do whatever it took to have that happen. One of the things that, that seems to get lost in the conversation about modern policing is that a lot of the outcome of what happens and how it happens depends on the other person, for lack of better words, the suspect. The the ball is in their court.
1: Correct, everything we do in law enforcement is retroactive to something else happening. What I mean by that is this, Uh, even though law enforcement guys are being proactive in their approach to policing, trying to prevent problems prior to them becoming problems, there's still a certain amount of what we do that is retroactive to a crime or something being committed. So as we're going out and we're doing traffic enforcement, trying to catch people who are intoxicated or, or speeders or people talking on their cell phones trying to prevent traffic accidents, and we're, we're witnessing violations of the law, we stop them a lot of times. It's, it's just going to be a encounter where they may have receive a citation. They may just receive a verbal or written warning in there. However, once we start talking to these people, we find out that other criminal activity is afoot. Nobody has ever been stopped with a large amount of marijuana in the car that didn't have a large amount of marijuana in the car. If I stop you for an equipment violation and then we we witness evidence of a, a further crime, then you know we start to investigate that crime and it becomes more than just a stop for a broken taillight. It becomes, you know, whatever the crime's being committed. And you know, a lot of people don't understand exactly how this works. Um to kind of put it in perspective you know, Timothy McVeigh with the Oklahoma City bombing, when he was caught, he was actually stopped for an equipment violation. It was a broken tail light that he was stopped for, and you know, other evidence of stuff was in the car that turned him into being arrested for one of the, you know, worst domestic terrorists this, this country has ever experienced. So it's the furtherance of the investigation that I think gets lost in translation. People say, well, they're just stopping cars, and they're just looking for stuff. Well, that's true, but the crime has already been committed so no matter how proactive we are in our approach to policing it's always retroactive to a crime being committed in the first
0: place. Absolutely I, I tell people all the time they would say oh you just stopped me because of and filled in a blank whatever it might be and my response was listen it would be impossible to stop everybody that fit your blank whatever it was because that's just the way the community is where I was so I, I looked for criminals and those who I thought were Breaking the law. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours—the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. We're talking with Scott you3 This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We take a short break, and then we'll be right back.
2: Epidemic America's public health crisis These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States Countless lives are lost and heartbroken families are too many to count Transformation's Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives Call 888 888- and online at transformationstreatment.center Transformation's Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction substance abuse co-occurring mental health disorders and PTSD Transformation's Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. And online at Center.
0: conversation with Scott Usry on his Law Enforcement Today's show. Uh, we're going to be talking about use of force. Uh, he, he is a career law enforcement officer, and he's also a training instructor at GTI Training Institute. Get more details about them at gti-training.org. He's the training director. Before we end the break, Scott, we started talking about the old adage about You only stop me because of blank, whatever, fill fill in a blank, whatever it might be. And one of the things we hear all the time, and I see it nonstop, and it seems as if people have lost all common sense, they will say, an officer stopped me on a traffic stop because of the color of my skin. And people buy it all the time. And one of the things I say is, most of the decisions I ever made to stop a car was when I was behind them. And... If you're driving a car now, look at the vehicles in front of you. Look at the vehicles in front of you stop at the stoplight. Can you tell how many people are in that car? Can you tell what their gender is? Can you tell what their race is? That's even without tinted windows. Putting tinted windows makes it even that much harder. The vast majority of time, I didn't know who was in the car, male, female, race, how many, until I got up beside the car. Have you found that to be the case with you?
1: It has been the case. Um, One of the the duties that I have had the pleasure of working over my law enforcement career is actually as a traffic enforcement agent uh, for one of our local county agencies around the CSRA. And one of the things that I got a lot is you stopped me because I was, you know, black or you stopped me because I was Asian or whatever the case may be. And, you know, just to to try and talk to people on the side of the road and get them to understand that's not the case is kind of a fleeting waste of time. I mean, you're not going to get them there. So what I like to talk in is is not necessarily generalities and try to convince people how I didn't stop them because of what color they were, and and, and just talk physics. I mean, because that's what all this is based off of. It is impossible for the human mind to concentrate on a vehicle that's coming down the roadway where you're trying to get a tracking history for a speeding violation and, and to watch them and probably be able to judge the tracking history and the speed of the car and then revert back to your equipment that you need to be able to actually stop someone in the state of Georgia and confirm that that tracking history that you developed and your equipment is in plus or minus five miles an hour of each other and still focus on who's inside the car at the same time. Your, your brain doesn't work that way. Your brain only allows you to focus on minimal things at one time, and it's not something that you can teach somebody to do. That's just how our bodies work. So physically, it's impossible for me to track you and get the tracking history I need and then confirm that tracking history by use of my, my radar or LIDAR equipment and judge who's on in the car. And besides that, we cannot see that far. Even if the windows are not tended in the car because of the way the front windshield shaped, just as the dynamic of the windshield, it kind of prevents us from seeing who's inside the car until we get right up on the car.
0: And that's plainly obvious. Anybody who drives can tell that. All you do is open your eyes and look. And you don't even have to drive. If you just walk on a city street and look around, look at the cars that go by you. Especially if you're standing still and a car goes by at 45 miles an hour. And tell me when you can determine how many people are in a car, what their gender is, what their age is, and what their race is. It really is physically impossible 99.9% of the time
1: it is and the thing that people are, are mistaken is that they didn't do anything wrong Let, let's be honest about it everybody who drives a car whether it's an equipment violation or if it's a you know moving violation something like that everyone who drives a car and that says to include some police
0: <laughs> some are police. creating
1: a violation of the law, whether their vehicle is not in compliance because something happened during their tour of driving or whether their tag's expired or the tag's being obscured by a cover or they're speeding and they don't have their seatbelt on. If you're driving on the roadways of the state that you live in, chances are at some point in time during that tour that you're driving from point A to point B, there's going to be either an equipment or moving violation that you're going to violate.
0: It's impossible to not create some sort of traffic violation. and I think we've beaten that issue uh to to a paul we could talk about it ad nauseum and some people just aren't going to get it one of the things i really want to talk about in the show because it's so over the news and by the way i'm not talking about minneapolis Uh, minneapolis uh, every cop i've ever talked to everyone has said the same thing as clearly not in training clearly it was a problem clearly it was a crime I have never heard anybody say, well, maybe kind of, you know. But So I'm not talking about that. And in this show, we don't engage in prosecution of individuals in the media, in the radio. But I want to talk about use of force. And for those who don't know, we have use of deadly force using your firearm. And there's set rules that you can do that, however set they may be. There's always gray area and he could still wind up if you did everything right and was justified, still wind up being fired or facing criminal charges. Another one was physical use of force, hands on. What I want to talk about with Scott, since you do a lot of this training, is the hands on use of force. And that's kind of what you specialize in now. You do that and deadly force as well, don't you?
1: Yes, sir. As part of my duties um, with the police department that I currently work at, I I am a use-of-force investigator as well as a use-of-force instructor. Some of the things that I do for the state of Georgia, uh, I am a general instructor. I have my senior law enforcement instructor. I'm a defensive tactics instructor, firearms instructor, driving instructor, use-of-force instructor, and a use-of-force investigator. And the reason I mention all that is because it all ties in together. So any of that stuff used improperly could potentially hurt or kill somebody, create you know, great bodily harm or death to someone if you don't use it properly. That's, that's why we have children that they have to be a certain age and have to have learner's permits and all that before they're allowed to drive a vehicle on their own. That's why when they, they're getting a um, driver's license now where they have to, a promotional license where they have to drive with an adult in the car for so long, and then they can only drive by themselves for so long to ensure that these uh, young men and women growing up are able to properly operate a motor vehicle to keep other people from being harmed. So, the use of force issue in going around is really not trained enough, in my personal and professional opinion. And it's kind of an area that it takes time and money to be able to do, and that sometimes is the holdup with some of these departments.
0: Absolutely. When finances and budgets are tight, the first thing that gets cut is training. And the other thing, too, is civil liability i can just tell you from my own experience scott we had a little bit of training in the academy in baltimore for hands-on use of force but after that the rest of my career it never happened and they were very very i want to say almost gingerly stepping around topics they didn't want to tell you in this case always do this in this case do that and this because if you did that, that leaves that apartment that city open for liability. say well, he was trained to do that
1: correct one of one of the things we pride ourselves on in the state of georgia um and and now you know as I progressed in teaching other states, I'm bringing the lessons that we've learned through my career in law enforcement to other places is there there's a need for change when it comes to hands on use of force so in in the basic academies now um we offer. Um, a certain set of hours for use of force so going into the basic academy i am the lead defensive tactics instructor for the augusta tech police academy that's an academy that's ran through the the georgia technical school organization headed here at augusta tech
0: hey folks when you have a chance check out our facebook page do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show when you get there click like and follow As click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. We're going to take a short break, and we will return to this conversation in just a few moments. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: All too often, we find ourselves getting asked, where can I find other great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Because of this, we decided to create our own network of podcasts here on Law
0: Enforcement Today.
1: You can access top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and free app. Head to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you will find our network link where we will continue to add podcasts from first responders and more. Remember, that's letradioshow.com to find out more information about law enforcement today, our podcast network, and to download our free app, letradioshow.com. Letradioshow.com.
0: Back to our conversation with Scott Ustery. He's a 23-year law enforcement officer, active duty officer now, also heavily involved in training in the state of Georgia. Uh, he's a training director at GTI Training. Get more information about them online at training.org And, Scott, before we end the break, you're talking about you also do a lot of training in Georgia for hands-on use of force. And I'm sorry I had to interrupt you for a commercial break
1: Quite all right. Before the break, I was saying that I was the the lead defensive tactics instructor for the Augusta Tech Police Academy. And one of the things that we do as part of our academic program there is we actually offer an 80-hour block of defensive tactics training for the upcoming officers. Now, even though 80 hours might seem like a lot of information or a lot of time to spend on a certain topic, it's really not. Because based into that 80 hours, we have to teach a certain amount of things. We have to use that time to teach OC spray and baton training and taser training, as well as weapon retention training, training that would allow you to either maintain control of your weapon system or regain control of your weapon system if someone is allowed to get that off of you. So when you break it down into areas, we get to spend about a day, sometimes a half a day per topic, and that's actually teaching people who've never been in a physical altercation before how to protect themselves and how to keep themselves safe so they can protect our community.
0: And a lot of these people, we forget. A lot of these people have never been in a fight. They have never been punched in the nose. They don't know what that's like. And they and they walk around with an inordinate amount of fear, not knowing. And I'm not picking on our, our current generation of police. This is across the population. We were far more. I, in my estimation, as kids, we had far more fights when I was a child, and probably when you were a child, as compared to nowadays. So, these people don't notice like and that it's very survivable to get punched in the face.
1: That's correct. That's actually one of the downfalls that the state of Georgia recognized several years ago is that we have a generation upcoming of really no fault of their own that have never been in a physical altercation. So one of the things that the state of Georgia done very progressively in the, uh, the training realm is we actually introduced a segment of the basic academy that allows you to put on boxing equipment and actually go rounds with someone as part of a rubric to pass the class. Um. So it allows you to see what it takes to be punched in the face and be able to survive the incident. Now, this is still in a controlled environment because people's safety is our responsibility. However, it, it allows you to be physically punched and see that even though it hurts and you may bleed and your eyes may water, that if you stay in the fight, that incident can become a very survivable incident. And on top of that, it also helps when we start talking about de-escalation of some of these incidents. People need to understand that even though we we try to de-escalate everything we do, sometimes a physical force is needed to de-escalate a situation. Sometimes that preemptive use of a lesser amount of force can stop a greater use of force coming down the pipe if you have to get in and actually physically go toe-to-toe with people.
0: You're 100% right. One of the first lessons I learned as a rookie was uh, the escalation of force. and One of the things that the old-timers taught me and the academy taught me, is if you went to your Your service weapon first. There's no backing down. Of course, we also had old-fashioned tools that my department outlawed. We called it the S-Pantoon, the big nightstick. A lot of departments don't use them anymore. And I was taught early on that nightstick will save your life and a suspect's life more than anything else you have. Yet, politicians get rid of it so quick because they don't like the way it looks.
1: Well, one of the things i found throughout my my career is that we need to stop limiting the Choices someone has to use force us or to use tools. What I mean by that is this there might be a situation where OC spray is very applicable to the situation on one hand, and in the very next incident, it might not be applicable at all. One situation where a baton might be applicable to use, where it might not be applicable in the other case. Same thing with the taser or same thing with, you know, soft hand techniques or hard hand techniques. But by not having that tool at your disposal, it's almost like taking half of your toolbox if you're a home builder and leaving it at home when you go build a house that day. It doesn't mean because it's on your belt you're immediately going to go to it. What it means is now that you have an option to increase or decrease the level of force that you may or may not have used because you have options on your belt where you might not if that option is taken away from you by an administration or by people's, just laziness not to carry things.
0: I'd rather have more options than than less because when you have less options, I, I hate to say it this way, the more you have to resort to deadly force because you run out of options quickly. I, I want to change directions a little bit because a big part of our job was if I had to take you in because let's say you committed a, a violent felony and you resisted. I had to meet the amount of resistance with a superior amount of force to accomplish a task to take you in. Or at least hold on to you till the backup could get there. But either way, you're going to go. So, so many officers I know. And back in the day, we were trained in come-alongs and other things. And, and they worked in rare situations when the opportunity presented itself. It didn't always present itself. But a lot of officers nowadays are doing jujitsu. They're doing other forms of martial arts, which I think is great. But in jujitsu, for example, while a, a, a smaller man or woman can overcome a larger, more violent opponent with holds and grappling maneuvers, it also involves this terminology which people are now making illegal across the United States, States chokeholds and, and being trained properly at how to use a chokehold and apply it where it doesn't endanger a person's life. If you don't have that training, what happens, Scott?
1: Well, the first thing people need to understand about a, a so-called chokehold is, by definition, a chokehold. Someone who is having the air choked away from them, they're dealing with a, what they consider an air choke. What I mean by that is this. When you start dealing with air chokes, you're dealing with limiting the amount of oxygen you're able to take into your body via the trachea of your body. One of the things that we teach a lot in, the, in school is to stay away from the trachea. The trachea is so easily damaged that it doesn't take a whole lot of pressure to crush the trachea. So by using air chokes, that is really considered a deadly force situation and not applicable to all situations. Right. However, what people commonly refer to in the jujitsu world and the wrestling world as a rear naked choke, where you're not actually affecting the trachea, but instead you're working on the blood flow to the brain, is actually a very applicable move to be taught um the state of georgia again being as progressive as we are here is one of the things that we have brought back into the curriculum is number one to be able to distinguish the difference between an air choke and a blood choke and then properly teach someone how to apply a vascular neck restraint which is what people commonly refer to as a rear naked choke in a situation that allows it to be a controlled environment
0: and that's that's only accomplished by training and that's the thing that Yeah, the the big movement is defund police. Well, when you defund police, the first thing gets cut is training. And when the first thing gets cut is training, that means when a situation occurs where an officer has to rely on that, they're not properly trained, and it can go really, really bad for everybody. Correct.
1: Defunding the police, and and I'm a little biased in this, obviously, because I am still a law enforcement officer, defunding the police is not the answer. The answer to the situation is proper education and training. A lot of people get into the law enforcement realm, and if you ask someone, why did you become a cop, they're going to tell you, because I want to serve and protect the community, which is true. I mean, everybody gets into this, has a certain aspect of service that they're looking to get. Nobody ever says that I want to drive a patrol car fast, or I want to carry cool things, or I want to shoot guns. Um, So the first thing we need to start doing in this profession is being honest with ourselves. And being honest with ourselves, we need to understand that once we – Take the step in becoming something more than a citizen, being a protector of the citizens, that with that responsibility comes the responsibility to be as highly and professionally trained as possible. There's, if you look on YouTube or you look on the Internet, there's there's thousands of thousands of thousands of of tactical instructors or shooting instructors or grappling instructors or underwater basket weaving instructors out there. And just because someone says that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread doesn't mean that they're properly trained to teach other people. And One of the thing biggest too, problems we run into in the law enforcement realm is because of budgets that people don't want to pay for a good instructor. when They can get somebody who says they can do the same thing for less money.
0: We are talking with Scott Ustery. He is an active law enforcement officer in the state of Georgia, and he's also a trainer. We're going to talk more about training, self-defense, everything else. Don't miss it. You do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Stick around. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll be right back. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Scott Usery. Scott is a career law enforcement officer. He's also a trainer. Uh, he trains police agencies and academy trainees in, in the state of Georgia, and also heavily involved. He's a training director at GTI Government Training Institute. Get more details about them at GTI Training. Dot org before we have the break scott one of the things you hit on is so important and i see it on social media all the time all these self-proclaimed experts uh that i i know everything about everything and they know law they know everything but what they really go is well, the officer didn't have to do that and one of the first things i say and you know who the biggest offender at of this is oftentimes it's other police They'll say, well, if I was there, I'd done this. Or they shouldn't have done that. shouldn't And I'll always say, were you there? No. Okay. So you really don't know what you would have done under that set of circumstances. And by the way, I didn't always behave the same way in every use of force application that I was ever involved in because the other person was different.
1: Correct. And, and people that, that would go out and Monday morning quarterback a law enforcement officer for the the type of force he used right at the time has not read the the statutes of the constitutional law um, and statutory requirements that we have justifying the use of force in America. One thing that people need to understand when it comes to use of force in in America as law enforcement officers, we are governed by a set of rules, and that set of rules has actually been established to us through Supreme Court decisions, and that Supreme Court decision is the Graham versus Connor decision. Graham versus Connor is the umbrella under which all use of forces, not necessarily just deadly force, but all use of forces, is judged under. And the second thing people need to understand is that the ultimate goal for any use of force is the control of a person. You know, law enforcement officers, once we put our hands on someone, their safety and security becomes our primary responsibility because we have limited their ability to take care of themselves because we put them in handcuffs and potentially put them in the backseat of a patrol car. So their safety and responsibility is our concern. But we don't just arbitrarily come up with what we're going to do, we're governed by laws. And one of the biggest things that the Graham decision gave us was the ground factors. There are four things that we have to look at prior to use of force to be able to justify whether that use of force is good to go or not. And the second thing is that officers say this all the time. It says in the statute that law enforcement officers have to make split-second decisions in situations that are ever-evolving and changing without the hindsight 2020 vision. That tells us right there we don't have minutes and hours and days to make a decision. We have split-seconds that could potentially save our life or the life of a third party.
0: That's not easy to do. And there's no way of sugarcoating it to make it sound like it is in the thing is Scott You know this I know this Anybody who's been in law enforcement a long time knows this The people listening may not When I had to use force Whether it be deadly force Or just hands on application I oftentimes couldn't tell you the details of it Until much later on When I had a chance to, to go through it all in my mind Because it happened so fast And it's about surviving myself That's all I can really tell you Things like I, I said this in another episode of the show one of the last shootings I was involved in, I couldn't even tell you what the guy looked like. I was so focused on his weapon, I had no time. And I didn't have the, the physical, mental capability to focus on everything at once. I had focused on one, which is the life-threatening factor. So before we get lost in that conversation, one of the things that I think we do need to talk about is the lack of funding that so many agencies have and their inability or unwillingness, for whatever reason, to do adequate training. Uh, especially in self-defense training, I believe that burden falls on the individual officer because you need to go home to your family and you need to make sure that the person you arrested for whatever reason goes home to their family eventually. And you don't wind up in court being sued or going to prison for something that's avoidable. What do they do? How do they accomplish that if the department's not going to pay for it?
1: Well, they look for outside training on their own. Uh, once Once we become a professional in any line of work, whether it's a professional in the bank, a law enforcement professional, or a teacher or whatever, our continued education is our primary responsibility. The continuing education requirements sometimes have to come out of your pocket if you want to be the best teacher, cook, doctor, law enforcement officer that you want to be. And sometimes that comes with, you know, having to save up money or having to work extra duty or, or, you know, just networking. Um, One of the greatest things i found about law enforcement is this is a series of networks where we start seeing and hearing things just like this radio show. Um, If someone hears this radio show and they need help with something that I've done, I'm a phone call away, literally a phone call away from sometimes, that I might be to give you some information that helps you make a decision. But a lot of times it becomes incumbent upon us as as professionals, to make sure that we are honing our skill craft to the best of our ability to be the sharpest tool in the drawer, well what a lot of people don 't understand is that a dull tool is always the one that hurts you a sharp tool is not so we, we need to be that steel that helps the other steel sharpen itself and and just network and get the best most up to date training we can get for our situations and that includes self defense situations that also includes personal things like going to the gym and stuff
0: like that quite often uh money's an issue and i agree 100 percent it's up, up to you as an individual to to train and get to where you need to be for departments where funding's an issue i understand you guys have some alternatives that can help pay for some of this training
1: we do we're actually the only company that i know of in the country that runs a program uh, that's called the asset trading program What this program allows departments to do is to trade in used assets that every department has laying around and turn that used asset into a pool of money that they can use to either turn around and and buy training and or new equipment for themselves. And the way that program works is this. Anybody listening that has ever been to the quartermaster's room knows that there's a closet somewhere that has a bunch of used vests or holsters or things in there that – they might have been planning on throwing away for the past three years and has never got to. Other agencies out there in America may need that equipment and don't have the money to get it to buy it new. you. So what we'll do is we'll take them used assets in and we'll give you two assessed values. The first value is going to be a value for outside training and equipment. So if you want to trade us in your used equipment and go to J. Wiley's training company, GTI will pay for you to go to J. Wiley J. to get trained. As long as that training helps you come home at the end of the night, that's all we care about. Now, we want you to come into GTI, and we want you to be trained by us, and we want to get involved in that. So we'll actually give you another set of, of dollar value for that, and we'll give you a price and a half. So if we give you a dollar for your product to go to Jay Wiley's training, I'm going to give you a dollar fifty to come to GTI and train with that same amount of money. And the best thing about this program is we hold this money in a pool for you so it never hits the general fund, so it can never be used by animal control or waterworks or anybody else to, to buy new trucks, it actually goes to the department that trades this stuff in. And if anything of value, seized cars, seized equipment from search warrants, used out-of-date unwanted equipment. Um, If you're a public safety entity and you want law enforcement training, we can still use them, HERSH tools and and pry bars and all that stuff the fire department has too. Anything of value, we can turn into cash for you to get your new equipment or training using the asset trading program here at GTI.
0: I haven't heard of too many organizations that do that and offer that. So you can use that for your in-house training, or you can use the funds uh, for these assets to train elsewhere.
1: Or you can use it to buy equipment. We have uh, several vendors that we are part of that that work with us, High Speed Gear, Glock, Smith & Wesson, Daniel Defense, we have other, you know, safari land, other places that we, that we can get equipment from. So no matter what your department is, is needing or wanting, whether it be training and or new equipment, we can probably help you out with that.
0: Get more details online on your website. You've got one I know of. is It's org. What was the other one you mentioned earlier?
1: The other one it was uh, gtilegion.com for the civilian training. Or if you want more information about the asset trading program, it's assettradingprogram.com. Um, i believe but there's also a link to that on the gti main page
0: and i believe gti training is also available on facebook as well
1: yes sir we're available on facebook and instagram for both gti training and the legion program and uh we try to keep that as up to date as possible
0: if an agency or an officer wants to talk to you are you available to help them
1: yes sir I'm, i'm available pretty much 24 7 either by cell phone or email um, If anyone ever needs to get in touch with me, my, my work email is usry, that's U-S-R-Y, at org.
0: Scott, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks for your service. I definitely have to have you back again in the future. Very much appreciated. My pleasure. One of the questions I get all the time is, how can I show my support for law enforcement? Well, we're all busy. You probably can't go to a protest march. You probably can't go picket somewhere. But there's something very simple you can do with Facebook. When you see a post that you agree with, that you like, share it to your page. It's just that simple. Think of it this way. Facebook has about 2 billion registered users worldwide. So you can make a difference. And one of the best places to find great posts about law enforcement is our facebook page do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show click like and follow and when you see posts that you like you agree with especially episodes of the radio show and podcast be sure to share it on your social media again do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show be sure to click like and follow and then show your support by sharing I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Show. have got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.